everybody. Welcome to Your Team with Sue and Steph. I'm Sue. And I'm Steph. And we are the co-founders and owners of Your Teen Media, the resource for parenting tweens and teens. And today is such a big deal. We are back with Amy Spidell, who we completely love and who she's really been one of the most influential people, I think, in both of our lives in raising our teens. And so we're we're just going to do a shout out to her with a little bit of the things we learned from Amy. The list is long. <laughs> I, the one that changed a relationship with one of my kids the most was when Amy basically laid out the script of what was going to happen after I put a restriction on a kid as a consequence. And it played out like verbatim, like she wrote the script and handed it to my kid. And one part of that script was your kid is going to walk away and they're going to mumble under their breath something like, fuck you. And when that happens, you're going to ignore it because you've taken (laughs) everything from them. And this is their one thing they can do to give themselves some, some sense of dignity and control in the story. And so it played out literally word to word to word. And the last thing was the walk away and the mumble under your breath. And I said nothing. And it was genius. Someone should have given you a trophy. I actually, had I known when it was going to take place, I should have delivered a trophy to you. I actually feel badly about it. I didn't deliver a trophy the day before where we literally had a physical fight. So let's not okay. get carried away. Yeah. But, um, and I only did it well because Amy said, that's what's going to happen. And when it was happened, I was completely prepared. But it did change the way I parented after that because I stopped caring about the attitude and the tone and like all of those things that can, I, I mean, I think all of us, but I definitely got caught up in the Don't talk to me like that. You know, we don't talk to each other like that, whatever I would say. And I let it go because I thought they live in a world that tells them over and over again what they're doing wrong. And if it's like one morsel of power that they can retain, I'm okay. It really, it worked for me. So thank you, Amy (laughs) Spidell. I was going to start with something else, but you just used a word that was so good that I have to hit on. You said, but I was prepared. And I think for me, that has been a linchpin with so much of this is, when I have the words that Amy Spidell prepared me with or another expert, I feel like, okay, I've got the research behind me and I've got the expert behind me. It's almost like I picture them pushing me forward and I'm just kind of the mime of all of it because I feel confident. And I think for me that those are the times where you're so vulnerable. I was so vulnerable as a parent. And like you're saying, like, we, I just ignored it. I knew it was coming. And that preparation, I always feel like when you have a plan, no matter what it is, and especially with parenting, but um, but the thing that I always think about her, about Amy, is the curiosity piece is coming at them from a, a genuine place of curiosity. And I can't remember I've told this story on our podcast before or not. I had a friend who was having a whole thing with the son, drinking drugs. I can't remember what it was. And she had found whatever the substance was. And when he comes in, I'm going to blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, you're you're not. You're not. Let's, you know, and I go, I send her a bunch of Amy's videos. We talk it through. And I said, do you want to practice? Do you want to practice before he comes in the door? And she's like, yeah, yeah. So I said, okay. So he walks in the door and you say, what the fuck were you thinking? I'm like, okay, so no. We're not going to do that. We're going to we're gonna try it again. And we kept doing it and we kept doing it and we kept doing it. And then like she was able to do it calmly, but she felt prepared, like coming at it with that genuine curiosity. And it's so hard. It is so hard, but it's such a game changer. I feel like that is the one thing I could point to time and time again. But you really have to be curious is the piece. 
So it's interesting that you ended with that because I, all, all the time when I'm in conversations with people, we kind of try to check each other with the motive for the question, because I know the questions I ask when I want to be nosy, but I'm really, <laughs> I'm just curious. Do you have enough plans this weekend? Cause I'm worried about you because I don't think you have enough plans. It's a three day weekend. And are you going to be okay? Right. That's not being curious. That's being me anxious, my vulnerability about that kid's life. And I'm trying to game it by saying, so what are you doing on Saturday? And how about Saturday at two? What are you doing at Saturday at two? And so I think it's being curious and I think it's authentically curious, but it's also, if you add one extra layer, which is from Amy also, like, why are you asking that question? And so many times the question for me is driven by wanting information that isn't going to be given to me. And I think I'm going to clever it out of them. doesn't work anyway, but I can catch it a little bit more now. And and also just friendships where we call each other out, where someone says, well, why did, you know, if I say something didn't go, go well, like someone will say, well, why did you ask that question? And it's like, oh mm. shit. Yeah. Yep. That's where it went wrong. The question mm-hmm. was not the question to ask. Yeah. Listen, I mean, I think, I think parenting is one big um, landmine, right? So like not walking on a landmine is virtually impossible. But when you have those moments to actually get your head together back to the preparation and curiosity. And I mean, these things come fast and furious. And obviously our our listeners are going to hear this from Amy. It's, I felt so many times as a parent, like, I'm like, oh, like, I wish I'd done that differently. Or I wish, and that's another thing she talks about. Like you can go back to that. I remember her talking about that too. Yeah. The apology. Amy is trained in conscious discipline. And I remember the first time I was in her office for an interview also probably asking her my own questions, but I was there under the the presumption of your teen. And um, (laughs) she made me stand up to show me what it meant like to walk side by side. And it seems obvious, right? Like we should know what that looks like, but it is Uh a very different experience than catching a kid, right? Like leading a kid, catching a kid and walking side by side. You're not there to keep them from skinning their knees. Like that, that's not the goal. It's really to be there, to acknowledge that you're there for them. And that visual, it carried me through so many different things. Oh, do you remember this one with Amy when we did um, an in-person event, obviously pre-COVID and maybe 15 years ago even, and we did it at Belfair and she gave out cards. Oh my God. and, And it was this crazy experiment of finding, you didn't know what card you had, but the other person did. So the social life of a teenager where someone sees that you have a two, And they don't want to hang with you because they want to find the king or the ace. And I mean, I remember sitting next, standing next to somebody who went like this. She put her card down and she said, I'm not playing. I hate those games. I mean, we were middle schoolers in two seconds. I even know who said it. Like, it was so phenomenal. So those experiences that she physically gives you of like standing next to her and seeing what that feels like and holding a card up and knowing what the lunchroom is like in high school. Like so cringy. So cringy. I have my hands over my face. That's how cringy yeah. it is right now. Yeah. Oh my goodness. Okay. <laughs> You're in for a huge treat because no matter how many times we talk to Amy, we get a little teary. We get a little moved. We realize we want to do something a little differently. So stay here and get the treat and listen to our conversation with Amy Spidell. We can't wait for you to join us.
got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Today's guest is Amy Spidell. Amy is a national presenter with Conscious Discipline and the author of Creating the School Family, Bullyproofing Classrooms Through Emotional Intelligence. Amy, thank you so much for being here with us. Amy Spidell, we cannot believe we get to talk to you today. It's been so long and you have been such an integral part of our business. We need to hear from you again. So, Today, we're just going to pose some themes, and we're going to kind of riff off what you tell us. So the first question, not even a question, let's just talk about the one thing that I cut to my core, like as a mother of teenagers, was when my teens spoke to me in a way that made me think they hated me. I could not get my own hurt out of that story and did not ever respond well. So tell us what that looks like and how do we do it better? Big emotion creates big emotion. And uh, just like, you know, when two-year-old says, I hate you, mommy, we can somehow see the cuteness in it. <laughs> it's like, oh, they learned a new word. Oh, that's sweet. When teenagers do it, you're right. The impact feels way deep because it feels like a rejection of all that you've built up to that point. And I think that the challenge always when we hear those words is to remember two things. One is big emotions come out of a part of the brain that doesn't have values and morals. So the emotional state doesn't hold our highest level selves, our executive state does. And when we go to an emotional state, all of the crap comes out, all of that feeling of my basest nature about the world and myself, which is the, when I say something like, uh, you know, like, oh my gosh, you just disgust me. I'm feeling my own sense of disgust within that. And so we just ping it off of each other. And that's why it's so hard because they pick up that irritation from us. How could you speak to me that way? Which shames them, which shames us. And it just pings back and forth. And Susan, from talking to you all these years, what I know is you're the one that stopped pinging. <laughs> like it's just like, I'm going to let that go right well, by. Well, let me just interrupt and say, I stopped pinging because Amy Spidell intervened <laughs> and said, stop pinging. <laughs> And you were willing to actually pull that off. But that is the, the crux of all those big emotions and what teens feel is remembering that the teen years are pivotal in taking that adult stance of how do I become a full-fledged uh, adult human being? And it's challenging. And the same way it's, it's not that different than how our preschoolers, our toddlers learn that their body doesn't belong to us and they can run away and they're scared by that, right? teenagers realize I can think my own thoughts. I can have my own direction. I can forge my own plan in this world. And it's exhilarating and scary as can be. 
because you've always been there to be my, my safety net. And now what I'm saying to you is I'm willing to jump off the cliff and I'm not sure there's a safety net. I want to take off from something you just said. You, you said when Sue said it's because you told her to, and your comment was, but you were willing, which is a great comment. But first of all, how do we get from the emotion to being willing? Is it, you know, like that, that journey as, as the mom? Yeah. And this is, I think for all human beings, the journey is, do I want the other person to change in service of me or do I want to change in service of me? And the challenge of that is we only have the power to do one of those two things. If I want to operate in the world this way, then I have to choose to operate in the world that way, regardless of how anybody else is operating. If I want to be kind And uh, the biggest thing, Susan, I think I've learned even since we began our talks a long time ago is when we talk about values, the only time you need your values is when you don't want them. If I I can be kind, I mean, I'm kind, I'm a kind person until somebody, uh, you know, irritates me and then I'm not kind anymore. I would never judge anybody until somebody's being judgy, right? So, or respectful or all those kinds of things. The only time that we require our, our own values is when we don't want to use them. And that, Stephanie, is really where that shift comes in, right? I've got to decide that I'm not acting this way so you'll be a better person. I'm acting this way because I choose to be it. You ended that with this vulnerability that our teenagers are feeling. For the first time, they recognize they're separate and they know they're entering a scary world. And so that can come back at us as mean and volatile and all these other things. Are we supposed to be there to soften the blow for them? Like what... What does that, that's a reality, right? Like the, all kids are going to have that experience where they realize they're separate from us. And then what do we do in that story? The, and I think um, along with what I've learned in Conscious Discipline, I credit Brene Brown for all the work that she's been doing over the years. That idea of empathic response is being willing to walk alongside without fixing or judging. And so with our uh, with our teens way into their adulthood, quite frankly, I'm you know, I'm thinking, where's the cutoff? Uh, it's like, well, you could have mentioned that that would be a problem or you could have, you know, you could have told me earlier than this that somehow our forecasting when they're little creates the idea that we always know the future and what's best. So part of those teen years is recognizing that I'm letting you I get the consequence of what it is that you want to choose, good or bad. Like sometimes it works out brilliantly and we're like, oh, I thought that was going to fall apart. And other times it doesn't. And the knee-jerk response is, why didn't you warn me? Or why didn't you just say something? Or why didn't you stop me from doing that? Because I don't want to be responsible for the mistake. Does that make sense? I, I feel it from a different perspective. I don't want to make decisions because then it becomes me, it's my fault. So I I wasn't doing it out of like good parenting. I just knew, like, if you say to one of my kids, say, where should I go to college? And I was like, oh no, on you. (laughs) 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 That one's on you. Step away. Right. Exactly. But maybe that is the universe's way of having us move out of the forecasting. Because I think I, I work a lot with families with younger kids where that's a lot of what I do. Don't forecast that they won't be able to get their work done if they don't do it right now or that they'll have a stomachache if they eat that. Let them have the stomachache. Uh, you know, it's the, the, how do I learn? I learn through the experience of that worked and that didn't work. But I do think that um, when they get to the place where the decisions are really very life-determining kinds of decisions, what you do is you say, everything that we have done as a family up to this point 
has led you to be the solid human being that you are and capable of making every choice. And here's the deal, being able to deal with the outcome regardless of whether it works well or whether it's another teaching experience. And Amy Seidel Zinger right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, next one. My teen hates their friends. That's, I, I think a lot of hate, anytime that you use the word hate, it's like armoring up. I would rather be on offense than defense. I would rather hate them before they dismiss me. And so sometimes when we hear kids say, you know, whoever it is that they're hating, that it's that experience of um, if I disown them before they disown me, it won't hurt as much. It's going to hurt either way. Uh, But one of the ways to get through that, I think when they'll say things like that, we try to say things back like, no, you don't hate your friends. You're probably just frustrated. Again, forecasting. Um, So instead, what you would say is, wow, seems like some big stuff's going on between you guys. And it is hard to figure out how to balance working something through when you've got so many other things on your plate right now. So it's the, I, I hate them in the same way that we all get frustrated with the people we work with or, or the people that we have to um, be married to. You know, it's like everything. Like when life gets complicated for me, I want everybody else to not give me any grief because I've already got enough. And I, you, you guys know from all the work and research you've done that teenagers carry a pretty heavy load and probably more now than ever. And so just be, be curious about what they mean by that. Hate means a lot of things. But almost always what it means is I'm armoring up to stay safe. That was Amy's number two zinger. That is such a good explanation, but it doesn't help me in the day-to-day of that when my kid comes home and I was never good at separating their heartbreak from mine. So they walk in the door and something happened and they're saying they hate their friend because their friend hurt them, right? And I don't think I did them any service by feeling their pain. I think it made it seem more like it was much more serious. But what, what's a good way? Like, what's the reaction that parents can do that helps their kid move forward in that, in that situation? I think that you already have kind of seen where that middle ground is. You don't distance yourself from it because then that is uh, abandonment, but you also don't jump into the pool and wallow with them. So that is the walking alongside. And that empathy is a skill set. It isn't it isn't an emotion. It's an executive function skill of being able to be present to, man, and nothing, nothing requires this more than parenting. Nothing that I've ever found, not for the rest of their lives. Every heartbreak is our heartbreak. And yet it's so important that they know that we can hold that space for them to feel it for themselves so that they can have somebody to rely on. And then, you know what you do, Susan, you go to somebody else and you wallow and cry with them. And it's the, how do I hold you long enough so that you can stabilize and I can be there for you? Because they won't stay with you for long. And the teen years, they just want to know that their base person is still there. You're their person. So I need to check in with you. Am I still whole? Am I still able to manage this? Am I still going to come out of this? So they want some confidence that says, hard as this is, you've got the ability to pull yourself through this hard as it is. It is hard. And it's going to take some time and you've got it. Then you go cry with somebody else. Then they'll go and they'll complain with their friends. But first, they've got to check with you. Am I going to be okay? Does that kind of make sense? Got made me teary. I think it makes very, you know, I think there's nothing happens with Amy Spidell where I don't get a little teary. And I don't think that's the best thing I've ever heard. Right, Steph? Totally. And well, and the other thing I was going to add on to this was the, my teen hates their friends 
but I love the mom. Like when you just oh. said, oh, and you can go f- cry with a friend, but what if the friend is the mother? I mean, that's how the kids know each other. Like that layer of complication. Now what? This is where it's so fun when they get to those teen years, because guess what? You guys still get to go out for coffee, regardless of whether your kids want to hang out. It's only when you have play dates that that's a problem. And hopefully those are over by the teen years. But it's that's not the question. The deeper, the real question is when you're hurt. But that's where you keep your, your socialization your relationship separate. And that is hard. It's hard in every relationship. But what you do is if these are, if this is really a friend and not just somebody that you hang out with because it's convenient because your kids are the same age. But if this is really a friend saying, are we willing as adults to stay steady while they figure their, their their own uh, relationship out? Can we stay steady in that? And it's, (laughs) it is, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm shaking my head at how beautiful that is. Like to actually oh. to say to your friend rather than your hurt ruining the friendship or their hurt ruining it, but to upfront say the words you just said mm-hmm. is so profound. It, and isn't it what we know um, makes the best for when there's a divorce in a family or when there is uh, any kind of riff in, in any family that piling on doesn't help. And the only reason that we pile on is because we're afraid. This is the armoring up. I need to defend my child so that you um, don't say something caustic that hurts me. So now I've got I've got it ready to say this is really more about your kid. I mean, maybe if they had had a better, better mother, attitude, my child. <laughs> Because my, quite frankly, my kids got lots of friends and I think yours is really struggling to find one. So it's whatever it is that we're going to zing back so that we don't have to feel it. It all comes from, and and we're going to go back down to that shaming piece again. If we're built on a society of shaming, then we always feel shame anytime something isn't working out brilliantly. And that's the root, I believe. I mean, this is what we're trying to shift in all the schools and all this kind of stuff. Stop shaming them. And if you don't take us apart when we're little, you won't have to be putting us back together when we get older. And that's even what adults are doing. They're trying, you're still working out your teen years with this friend of if somebody else doesn't like, you know, you or whatever, now we can't be friends because you're on their team and I'm on this team and we can't be friends and cross teams. But our kids are growing up differently now. I don't think they have quite that same sense of, uh, and I was going to use the word loyalty, but it's not really loyalty. It's division, divisiveness. Maybe, maybe they'll end up with divisiveness, but there's something about the way that they're growing up that says, I can, I can say this is irritating to me. I can say, I never want to see that person again and not have the same depth to it that somehow I think we think they are having. Does that kind of make sense? It's true. It's amazing. Are you suggesting that's different today? Yeah, I, I, I really feel like The generations that we're building, since they've gotten into such a strong technology world, it feels as if I I realize we can look at it and say they're not forming close connections and they're not doing this and they're not doing that. But I also think that everything about them is so much more fluid. It's about, you know, who am I today and how do I put that on and how do I practice with it a little bit? And then how do I accept this group of people or that group of people where Uh, You know, in my generation, I think we tried to do that and we ended up right back into the same groove. But I do think that they are, they're global. They don't have a sense of the people that I've 
grown up with my whole life and they're the only people I see. Okay. So we have 10 minutes. I saw Amy look at the clock. I want to get this last question in and then we have our final question. So we got to do this fast. So my kids never fought. So I'm going to let Stephanie ask that question, but of course I'm only joking. So (laughs) I have five of them. They fight with each other, not as much as they used to, but there was no crystal ball to tell me when they were younger that one day they would navigate these relationships themselves. So I really struggled with that, as I think most parents do. And we talked about this over the years, and you helped me so much. But how does someone listening right now, there's no guarantee, we can't say it's going to all work out. It doesn't. It doesn't for everyone, right? But what do I do in my house right now, when the amount of friction is like breaking my heart and making it impossible for me? And I don't know that there is a quick response to that. I will say this. One is you answered it pretty much right at the very beginning when you said it's much better now or they have much better relationships now. It's the your homes are the microcosm of everything they're going to experience for the rest of their life in terms of relationships. And so bravo for having five of them that they can practice with. Uh, <laughs> they were good. You know, it's like, I think anybody who has lots of different people in their life and has to learn how to kind of uh, gel with different personalities, there's a lot of growth and wisdom in how you do that. But there also, it just takes time. And the way that the adult stands in that is to step back from the idea of you're breaking my heart. I only had you so you would all be friends. Because uh, we all know that doesn't work out well. Uh, but more along these lines. You know, you're going to have each other. And I know that people have said this throughout the ages, but you're going to have each other for the rest of your lives and you get to decide how you want that to play out. I'm just going to tell you every single one of you matters to me. And so I'm going to keep holding you together in my own heart, even if you can't quite hold each other right now. So it's more about my intention than it is trying to make them have my intention, which takes us back to that beginning statement of who is it that I want to be in this family rather than how do I want them to act to show that who I am in this family actually is a pretty stellar thing because look at how great they are. They're not the product of my growth. They're just part of the growth process. So that's the, that man that I have had to learn that way more times than I wish I would have had to learn it. But stepping back and saying, um, this is the person I choose to be. And one of the things that you said, Sue, that I really hold on to as well is I choose to be a person that loves you no matter what. And if you grow up someday to know that as well, bravo for you. And if you don't, then it's a different path that you took and you probably learn different things in the process. Are there any um, deviations from that rule of where to get involved? Like stepping back is such a, it's beautiful and I love it, but it was the number one hardest thing in this household, I can tell you. Yes. And if you really believe that there is something physically that could happen that would be way too damaging for them to be able to recover from or emotionally too damaging for them to uh, to recover from then you step in. In other words, if you believe that they are on the brink of, uh, of really having suicidal thoughts, if you believe that something that they're going to do could cost them their life, of course, you always pull the parent card when the risks are too high for what they're aware of. In fact, you would do that with a friend. So it's, you know, you would do that with a spouse. Watching somebody else destroy their life is not what we're in it for. I want to remind you what you said yeah, once yes. because it, it really it directed my parenting, which was if they're four years old, they're only going to have the skill set of a four-year-old to negotiate problems. And so the the thing that I resented so much as a kid was when my parents said, 
you know, you go work it out. Go, you go figure it out. I don't want to hear about this. So when it comes to siblings, is that still like, has that changed for you? Or is that still the way you think about it? No, no, no. I think you look at what their skill set is and you offer it up. The challenge with teens is that they're really going through that stage of sussing out what it is that you've taught them all those years about how to work things out, how you've modeled that for them all those years, and they're starting to build an adult brain. So the the scary thing that we have with them is, are they ready to launch? And I do think that we hold them back way longer than they want to be held back. It doesn't mean that I'm setting you up in an apartment to try to figure out your own life. It doesn't mean I kick you out at 18. It means that these life decisions like going to college, buying a car, having a relationship with somebody, that you have my confidence and you know that I can I can listen without making unilateral decisions about how, no, you need to stop that. And I have certainly pulled that in times when it wasn't needed. But I also think that I want to be careful that I don't miss pulling it when it is needed. Like to say to somebody, this requires way more help than just uh, taking a couple of aspirin and going to bed for a few hours. It's important that you take care of this. It's important that you see somebody. So it's those kinds of things. And to be serious about that, make the arrangements for it. All of those kinds of things you do step in for. The kinds of everyday things, it's the confidence building that they're looking for. If you think that I can't handle walking through talking with a teacher, if you think I can't handle through working this out with a friend and you got to call their mom and you got to work it out on the side, if all those things are happening, what you're saying to me is you don't think I have the stamina, the flexibility, the wisdom, the growth potential, all those kinds of things, because I'm not going to do it like you would do it. I'm going to do it the way I do it. I'm probably going to trip all over myself. But you're showing me that you trust that I can learn from that rather than I will be, I will just be destroyed by it. I've got to know you believe I can learn from my mistakes. Okay, final question. What we ask all of our guests, what is the biggest myth about raising teenagers? That there's something wrong with all of the um, big emotions and what seems like a character flaw thing that shows up that it's exactly what the brain is intended to do, needs to do, and is doing quite brilliantly. And we just have to take that as one of the stages along with all the other messy stages that come. I often equate it to if we treated losing your first set of teeth the way we treat the teen years, we would be freaking our kids out every time a tooth fell out of their mouth instead of just the They're going to come back in, babe. Just give it some time. So that's what happens with our teens. They're going to land on their feet. And that's what you've seen over the years, right? They, you know, you feel like they're never going to get it. And then, and then they do, and then they don't. And then they do, and then they don't. And, but isn't that adult life as well? Totally nailed it. Totally messed it up. It's accepting the journey and accepting that this is where our roads Um, do become more parallel than connected. Amy Spidell, we love you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Always love talking to you guys. Thanks for joining us today. If you have any topics that you want us to talk about, let us know on our Facebook page or email editor at yourteenmag.com. You can follow Your Teen on Facebook by searching Your Teen for Parents and on Instagram and Twitter at Your Teen Mag. Okay, so we're... We're two moms who share everything. We read an article and we go like, oh my God, my friend, my friend has that same story. We listen to a podcast and we think to ourselves, who can we share this with? It was so good. And we're hoping you're the same. 
We're hoping you're listening to our podcast, Your Team with Sue and Steph, and you're so excited by what you're hearing that you're sharing it with a friend. We're so grateful in advance for you doing that because that changes our whole story. We get much more exposure and we want everyone to hear what our fabulous, talented experts have to say to help us raise our teenagers. You can find more from us at yourteenmag.com and listen to all our episodes on evergreenpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your Team with Sue and Steph is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Special thanks to executive producer Michael D'Aloya, plus our favorite producer, Hannah Leach, and audio engineer, Gray Longfellow. We'll see you next time. Hi, my name is Sarah, and I want to tell you about my podcast called Can I Offer You Some Feedback? I'm a business consultant and executive coach with over 20 years experience in change management, leadership development, and naturally providing feedback to high performers. My podcast is for those of you who have a complicated relationship with feedback, whether giving, receiving, avoiding, or seeking. Feedback is essential for our development. In each episode, you'll hear from real people across industries with their ideas, perspectives, and best practices on feedback. I'll also be sharing business bites with you, simple explanations of organizational tools, management techniques, and leadership philosophies that will help you and your businesses thrive. You can listen to Can I Offer You Some Feedback on your favorite podcast app or learn more at evergreenpodcasts.com.